Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Brexit talks have taken a break. Exhaustion, perhaps, or a lack of common ground. Either way, Michelle Barnier is saying there are still sticking points. It's an argument over the level playing field. And the fish, the fish apparently, are not pro-Brexit. Actually, they don't want to be caught by anyone. So could Britain be heading for a hard Brexit? Just how complicated are free trade agreements at the best of times? And with COVID running rampant and supply chains already disrupted, wouldn't you be completely army, absolutely bonkers, to be pushing ahead with a December the 31st uh, deadline to leave? That's today on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keane. I'm Phil Dobby. Welcome along. Yes, those talks are not going very well at all. But today, we'll look at how hard it is to try and come up with a free trade agreement anyway, not just between Britain and Europe, but between any countries, because they are anything but free. And this one is going to be more complicated than most. And given that the talks are not going well, will they just throw in the towel and see what it's like to live without one? Well, we'll see, won't we? Fairly soon, I suspect. Now, Steve and I have been at odds over Brexit. He thinks it's needed and uh, hopes that it will destroy the EU. It doesn't look like that's going to happen. I've always thought that despite the inadequacies of the EU, it's best to have a a seat at the table at what is one of the world's, if not the world's, greatest trading bloc, particularly at times like this. But Steve, I do get the point that it is, particularly as far as the Eurozone is concerned, that it's it's a bit of a a half-pregnant cow, isn't it, in that they get to control the interest rates within a centralised economy through the ECB. But then they impose restrictions on what sovereign countries can or cannot do with their own governmental budgets. I mean, I, I think that that's pretty much the the basis of your objection to it all, isn't it? Yeah, it, it totally is. And this is, I mean, the reason I voted for Brexit had nothing to do with whether it's going to be good or bad for the UK. I just wanted someone in the European Union to kick Brussels to the stage where uh, you you might get either movement away from the stupid rules of the Maastricht Treaty and the so-called, uh, let's, let's give it this proper name, it's the Growth and Stability Pact, isn't it? Yeah, that's what they call it. Uh, that's, mm. okay. <laughs> okay, well, it's been stagnation and instability. That's what the real impact has been. So I saw the, the Brexit voters as, as a convenient, uh, mild way for one member of the European Union to protest to Brussels and hopefully get some movement out of Brussels. Now, what you got instead was complete intransigence. And um, this actually came up in a discussion I had with Jeff Hodgson on Twitter a couple of days ago. Um, and... Uh, and my reply was that the Tories were trying to leave hotel, the Hotel California, which is the point that Yanis Varoufakis made. Uh, when, when did he write, Yanis wrote an article to Theresa May, remember her? Uh, on yep. 3rd of May 2017 in The Guardian, saying that there's you simply can't negotiate with Brussels. They will give you the Brussels runaround. You'll go for one person, you'll be you shuffle from one person to another and never get a decision. It'll go on for th- years and years and years until they wear you out. The only way to proceed is to give them a, a flat, uh, this is our position, Norway plus 
uh, no negotiation and just you you play hardball, you you don't move, and you and you force them into that situation over time. Uh, but in fact, the well, they, I think that's what they're trying to do right now, well, isn't it? Too and, late. And they've, they've, hence, you know, not, there's, there's, there's mm. nothing they've actually done. Uh, I mean, it, it's yeah. it, it, to imagine this. How, when did the vote occur? I mean, I've lost track. Was it 2015? 2016. 2016. Yeah. yeah, June 2016. And they tried to negotiate an agreement. And as he said, they would be told, oh, this, I don't have responsibility. They'd go and talk to so-and-so down the corridor. And, and on you go around yeah. the, the loop and you get back to the first person you saw. And here we are, four and a half years later, almost four and a half years later, and uh, you we've got uh, a couple of months to go, and still it seems we've we've got nowhere. Yeah, yeah but, um, completely nowhere. But I think your hope was as well, out of out of Brexit, was that if if Britain pulled out, then others might pull out too, mm. and the whole thing that might hasn't fall happened. apart. And yet that has no. In fact, it seems to have been, people seem to have bedded down more. And in fact, there's more talk now about whether, in fact, being within the EU should be even even more centralised. Part of that talk is about, well, maybe we also ought to start introducing taxation. So, you know, do we get over that half-pregnant cow situation by becoming a completely pregnant, pregnant cow and, and, and take away even more sovereignty out of the nations that are left with mm. it? Well, I mean, the whole... You got, and you've either got to do that or not do it. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're sitting at the, at the not-doing-it stage until COVID came along, and now, uh, I mean, the, the, what's happening with COVID in Europe is an absolute tragedy. Uh, the, the numbers, mm. what is it, uh, about 10 times... The number of cases now that were back in March, and the and the mm. the, the summer of uh, apparently uh, reducing COVID is well and truly over. So, uh, in that situation, there is a, a need for you know coordinated policies, not just at the national level, but the the the, the continental level. And maybe that might might finally kick the European Union into becoming what it's always wanted to be, which is the United States of Europe. That was that yeah. was the reason. Well, yeah. I mean, we've spoken about this in that because the, because there was the hope that they had actually agreed a package, but they seem to be having difficulty agreeing how it's going yeah, to be spent. I mean, so it's, it's, I'm not sure it, that money's funding. Yeah, it, it, this is. I mean, the larger you make something, and the more um, stakeholders you have in any action, the yeah. harder it is to reach a decision. And this was uh, yeah. the, the fact that when you actually want to get a, a change through the European Union with the existing structure, you not only have to get the European Parliament to vote in favour, you've got to get, the I think, the 19 finance ministers as well, one of whom used to be Arnas yeah. Varoufakis, of course. Um, so, uh, I mean, I, I, one thing I would want to quote from from um, from uh, Giannis, which I think was absolutely wonderful here, he said he'd go through and do all this detailed work, um, a, a, a serious econometric and sound economic analysis. Once they've been tested with some of the highest authorities in the field, I would take them to Greece, Greece's creditors in Brussels, Berlin and Frankfurt. Then I would sit back and observe a symphony of blank stares. It would as if, if I had not spoken as if there was no document, um, the responses when they came would be perfectly independent of anything I had said, and I love his choice here, I might as well have been singing the Swedish national anthem. It would have made no difference. Now, that's the intransigence that the British have run into. If we had goodwill on either side of this, to some degree, accepting the British had made a decision, and then how do we help amendment, this, this could have been decided in, two or th- in one or two years. Max. Yeah. Instead, it's That's three and all. a half, four, yeah, four, going on four years later. Uh, it still hasn't, yeah. nothing has happened. And you look at it and think, holy well, shit, uh, do we need this at the same time as coping in with the, with well, the that, virus? No. Well, that was my point. I mean, this is a bad time to leave, isn't it? Particularly yeah. if we leave without a deal. I, I, mean, I would put what, everything on hold. I mean, the, 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 the first, second, third, fourth, and 73rd um, uh, business of government should be defeating COVID. 
Yeah. And uh, so, it's, it's, the, in the meantime, the UK economy, which is not looking great, livelihoods which are uh, which are which are struggling, which would struggle even more by uh, the imposition of, of tariffs. I mean, and and then the dangers of not getting the food supplies because of all the paperwork that's required. I mean, a huge amount of food that we eat in the UK comes from the Netherlands. This could be an absolute disaster looming, couldn't it, at the end of this year? It could be. I mean, if you find that you can't ship the food from the world's second largest food exporter to one of the world's largest food importers uh, because of the change in the paperwork and you have a period where not only don't you have essential services, but you, you don't even have food being delivered. Uh, yes, it could be a disaster. I still think that, that the, the sheer panic of that will force some uh, immediate compromises and it'll be a case of ship now and do the paperwork later. But it's still uh, it potentially... You know, catastrophic addition to a system which a situation which is already being badly mangled by the British authorities as it is. Yeah, yeah. Look, we're told that the two sticking points are fish, and that is just a crazy situation. We'll come on to that in, in, in just a second. Uh, but the other one is uh, state aid. And this, I mean, the more you delve into this, the more you realise, you know, this is just complicated. It's, it's never going to get sorted out. So, for example, as it currently stands, with the UK having been a member of the EU, this is the way it works for EU members. You you can't give any state aid to any company unless it's less than 200,000 euros over a three-year period. Of course, you can get around that. If you want to give a million euros to a company, you just get the company to split into five is the easy way around that. But you also, uh, you can give state aid if it promotes disadvantaged areas or small and medium-sized businesses, or it's there for research and development, for environmental protection, training, employment, or culture. So I would have thought, uh, Britain could live with that because, uh, you know, it's uh, the, I guess the issue is having to justify any expenditure to, to the EU when you've left it. That's the big problem. But uh, if uh, so long as R&D is there, because the two things you'd want to you'd want to give state aid for one is going to be for uh, infrastructure, for example, like public transport and the like. And the, and the other one is going to be uh, research and development to try and help new, new industries. But, but just a quick question here. Is this the sort of stuff, the European Union rules, which could be used to override? legislation to provide finances for companies which are, are failing because of COVID? Yeah, well, they, I mean, that is a really good question, isn't it? Because they, they yeah, would almost I mean, certainly be going against insane. their own rules right now. Yeah. That's right. Uh, the, the, the desire to maintain a, a, a neoclassical vision of competitiveness means we might die of, die of, a, of a virus, um, or not die of a virus, but go bankrupt because we can't, we've lost the cash flow uh, that's been wiped out by the virus in the first place. So th this is the extent to which the European Union has been a, the, the neo-auto liberal uh, regime trying to impose mainstream economic thinking uh, on the on the in, entire continent of Europe in the belief that'll make the economy work better and mm. uh, win godly. This is one reason why I'm so so anti the European Union and the euro all the way through. As Winler Godley said back in 1992 in, in Maastricht and all that, when a crisis hits, uh, the rules of the European Union will require the government to take money out of the economy when its money has already collapsed because of the private sector's problems and it will turn what could be an ordinary recession into a serious depression. And now if, if those rules strike now, then heaven help us. That's a reason to continue with Brexit and say, take your bloody rules. But then you've got the dilemma of, well, how, how if you have escaped those rules, how do you manage to um, import the food you need from the Netherlands? But the other, I mean, the other thing as well is if you, uh, even in normal times, uh, whenever they are, 
Um, if you mm. want state aid, you'd want state aid to help. We've talked about, you know, how Japan got its uh, competitive position because it had a fairly closed economy and it was uh, it was supporting investment in, in new ideas and new technologies, which gave them a head mm. start on the rest of the world. Surely, you'd, you know, there's a good case study there that you'd, you'd want to follow. But if you take the uh, official text, Article 92 of the Treaty of Rome, God, there's so much information in these podcasts. And then the quote is um, <laughs> that you know, they forbid any subsidy that distorts or threatens to distort competition by favoring certain undertakings or the production of certain goods. So that would mean, I would the way I'm reading that, if you do research and development into new goods, into a disruptive technology that is going to distort the sale of old goods that they're replacing, then um, then you wouldn't be able to do that because you would be uh, undertaking to upset the production of, of, of those goods. I've got a feeling you've swapped sides on Brexit. <laughs> a little <laughs> bit. Because <laughs> you're being plenty of good arguments for Brexit right yeah. now on your normal. So the, the, no, look, mine, I've always showing... thought it's a nonsense. My point was, as long as it exists, yeah. uh, we don't want to have, uh, we do, you know, I can see the point for, for free trade with uh, without tariffs. But, yeah, the more I look into it, I mean, the, the, I mean, we know that it's an administrative nightmare and and. and yeah, and once you're out of it, if we have a level playing field and we're having to follow these regulations, then we know that there will just be court proceedings. I mean, the winners out of all of this are going to be uh, are going to be the lawyers. The lawyers. So yeah, I mean, to, to me, at the moment, the last thing. I mean, if the if you actually got to the point where there were lawsuits coming out of the European Union against Britain for some of its measures to uh, reduce the damage of COVID, uh, then I think that'd be a reason to say let's let's damn well do it and 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 bugger the consequences. I don't think that's going to happen. Everybody's going to be obviously in Europe and the mainland of Europe completely dominated by COVID, just like everybody should be in the UK as well. But um, it, 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 it's having said that, you just don't want the extra chaos of Brexit in the middle of the chaos of COVID. So I think it's a reason to delay uh, rather than go through the whole thing and say, just put it on the sidelines. You know, uh, it, it, it's nobody needs to worry about the this crisis, um, you know, this, this uh, administrative issue while we're facing on the biological one of COVID. Yeah, but I mean, even so, I mean, it is an administrative nightmare to try and get a, a free trade agreement uh, where you're going to have uh, tariff-free trade uh, when we are so close to Europe, so long as you've got that question about subsidies and also public procurement, which I want to talk about as well. But it, it just raises the question. I mean, uh, free trade agreements are anything but free. They are complicated, aren't they? And like, I mean, again, we've, we've drifted from Brexit to free trade, but nonetheless, yes. Yeah. Well, that's, um, I mean, that's at the core of it all, though. You the, know, the, that's, the, we're the, trying to get a free trade yeah, agreement. Yeah, but you're, try, you're trying to you know, minimise the tariffs, but the tariffs are already, compared to what they were 30 years ago, they're trivial anyway. Um, mm. There's only a few industries where tariffs are greater than 10%. Uh, most of them are in international trade are quite low these days. So the neoclassical agenda of eliminating tariff trade barriers has been politically successful. And uh, this is just an attempt to, to, to stay within that overall milieu of, of you know, free trade 
uh, uberoles uh, that that characterises uh, the globalised economy. When we're seeing the globalised economy going backwards, courtesy of COVID, because you you don't want to have. Uh, you know, you, we want to have short supply chains. You don't want to be dependent on countries which suddenly can't export, which can't produce the goods in the first place. Uh, you want to produce stuff which is uh, much less complicated, close to home, such as, for example, Britain producing its own food as much as it can do it. But if the Netherlands can grow, you know, can grow, you know, the second world's, world's second largest exporters, why can't Britain use some of the same technology? Uh, going localised is what, what matters now. Uh, rather mm. than this obsession with free trade. And yet Britain is almost certainly going to do more trade with the United States rather than dealing with Europe. And that, that just seems like a nonsense. But uh, and then you get into the, you know, this, the other argument other than the level playing field is fish. Mm-hmm. And this is just bizarre. So fishing accounts for 0.1% of the UK economy, 12,000 jobs. A lot of those jobs are seasonal workers from the EU <laughs> uh, ab- uh, about 300,000 tonnes of the 700,000 tonnes landed by UK fishing vessels are fished abroad, so getting on for half. So the UK will lose half the fishing waters that it fishes within Europe at the moment. And when that eventually gets landed in UK ports, it, it, most of it, more than half, finds its way being exported to Europe. <sighs> so... <laughs> I mean, it makes no sense. I, and of the money that is earned within the UK, the large majority of it goes to four of the wealthiest families in the UK. So, uh, you know, so you've got wealthy families employing EU workers to ship foreign waters to fish for fish that's going to be exported back to the EU. But we're hanging on to it because it's a really important issue, even though it's 0.1% of the economy. It's uh, that's a nonsense, isn't it? Oh, God Almighty! I mean, but the thing is, the fish. The problem is, Steve. The fish don't respect the borders. That's the problem. The bastards. Yeah, they yeah, swim. They swim through them all the damn time. Yeah. <laughs> oh. But this is. But this has become a. I mean, so that, so you look at things like that and you think, well, my God, you're never going to get an agreement that everyone's going to be very happy with. Macron has got to satisfy the fishing industry within France that they're still going to get access to British waters. And, you know, it's it's not going to happen. So for the, for this tiny proportion of the economy, we, you know, are we ever going to get to a free trade deal? I, I, this is why I say just throw the damn thing in the, in, the, in the heap of papers in the corner of the room and focus on COVID and do whatever's necessary. Forget about any of the rules written down in any of the treaties. What's going to help you succeed in suppressing the disease and reducing the damage uh, both to people's health and the economy? So just extend the transition period for another couple of years. Or yeah. Whatever. We don't – you need this like a hole in the head right now, okay? You need, yeah. you need to have bureaucrats worrying about this sort of stuff. Uh, no way. I mean, you know, anybody should be worrying about it. Put the damn thing off. Mm. Um, at least to get one positive out of COVID, of, of delaying the nonsense, and maybe in the meantime they'll finish building that trolley park. Where's the, where's, where's the, the uh, Kent. Uh, lorry park being? Huh? Yeah, Kent? Well, Kent is okay. going to be a lorry park. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, they, it's you know, a few they nice got, towns. At least they might finish the damn thing. At least that, that'll be some construction work. Um, mm. But yeah, it, it, to, to me, it's it's it, it's it's been a, a disaster all the way through. Uh, 
Of course, remember when it began, I thought I was doing a protest vote, by the way, when I voted for Brexit, I thought I was going to be a protest vote and the majority would vote to stay. Cameron, of course, called the referendum because he thought it would lose. Mm. Um, so, and, and you see, of course, who lost? He was the one who lost. He and, he and Osborne were out the next day and Theresa May took over. Well, that was great. Um, it, 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 is, it has been such a shambles all the way through. But, Amy, um, I, I wonder whether, aside from the, you know, the nonsense or the, the litigation that exists with Within, uh, within the EU, Britain is going to face many of the same problems trying to get a free trade agreement with the US, isn't it? Where you're going to hit the same rules uh, in terms of uh, subsidies to, to industries. And then the other big one, which will certainly apply within the US and maybe in pharmaceuticals, is going to, mm. is going to be in procurement. So let me give you an example. The EU um, is drawing up an agreement with Indonesia. Part of that is it wants the Indonesia to open up uh, to its procurement, its its public procurement. They say uh, it, it it ten to twenty five percent of GDP of national economies is um, is 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 government spending. It's nineteen percent of the EU's GDP, uh, and in emerging markets, it's higher. And the EU is a supporter of an ambitious opening of international public procurement markets. They say experience has shown that an opening in these markets can improve the government's ability to get better value for money by gaining access to a richer and more diverse pool of goods and services and increasing the efficient use of public resources. So, in other words, they want Indonesia to... Uh, Open up its market to British goods. Yeah. American goods. Uh, Yeah, exactly. And that's going to apply everywhere, isn't it? So that's going to be the same. um, And yet, yet where do you draw the line on that? And and, and this is another area of enormous litigation, isn't it? Because if you have somebody who's Mm. breached those rules... You're gonna. You, you, it's going to go to court. I'm not quite sure which court, but you're going to have that. You're going to have that problem. This government um, uh, didn't open up this this to tender fully, or it, it put in measures that's going to make it difficult for foreign companies to uh, to tender. And we see that all the time. Yeah, and you've also got the. I've forgotten this particular uh, again of the tribunal where the companies can complain against government rules that they say discriminate against them, and ninety percent of the time the uh, the court rules in favour of the companies. So you get companies controlling government. Uh, uh, government legislation and this whole thing is is massively anti-democratic massively uh, against letting countries shape their own futures uh, of course they've done a pretty damn bad job of of doing that but uh, the companies they like you know philip morris was able to sue i think it was actually was indonesia for uh, constraints on smoking so you get this mm. ludicrous situation where we we know what should be done in health terms and the, and the free trade rules undermine it so i, I it, to me this is just a uh, you know, it's far enough. This is a clusterfuck. The whole, the whole thing, uh, because it presumes a world in which all this stuff works effectively, and you get a, a greater rate of economic growth out of it, and everybody, the losers, are compensated by the winners, and, and nobody complains. Uh, but the whole vision of free trade, and we have yet another talk on this one, I think, uh, is is historically and, and, and theoretically false, mm. because the countries that have grown most successfully are the ones that have restricted. Uh, foreign competition yeah, and we've talked about uh, that including because, the UK yeah 
because they have a more diverse economy as a, as a result of it, and they're not yeah, the, buying the diversification in- matters more than trade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and having uh, having a broad industrial base and promoting your own industries gives you economies of scale, which lets them grow over time. Mm. Um, that's the one argument in favour of a large, tr- and I think like the European Union, the scale of the economy is such to enable economies of scale to occur that couldn't occur at a national level, and that was a, sol- a solid reason for building up that one trading block. But the idea that abolishing uh, tariff barriers everywhere makes the world more efficient. It's again, it's another neoclassical fantasy about allocating what you have now being more important than developing what you have over time. And that's just wrong. The countries that have done best are the ones that have focused on industrial development. Uh, And that's why, you know, rather than, you know, if Japan had focused on its comparative advantage, we'd be talking about the wondrous Japan, Japanese exports of silk. Uh, which is what it was you know, specialised in back in those days. It's the building a diverse industrial structure. That's what gave them that success. Yeah. And then, and and that's you know again, I just you, you, you're looking at a, a mess compared to what people would thought would be a, a work of art. Well, if you if you were d- negotiating with the EU right now and you were hitting mm. an obstacle on this idea that we need a level playing field, then the UK government would be very well placed, I would have thought, to say, well, okay, let's look at public procurement because uh, our uh, utilities are, are all privately owned and if, uh, if, if, if a company in Europe wants to pitch to run them, then that's fine because a lot of them are owned by foreign companies anyway. A lot of them are already owned by European companies. Companies, in fact, so on, on that basis, we think uh, water, electricity, gas in the Netherlands all publicly owned. We think uh, they should they should cease to be publicly owned. Trains in Germany mostly publicly owned. Same in France. Banking and insurance in Germany are very often publicly owned, and water as well. Greek government has got Wi-Fi in public spaces. We don't think they should be doing that. Ireland. The mail, rail, buses, water, all publicly owned. I mean, we should be saying, well, in that, if, if it's going to be a level playing field, all of those have got to be out to tender. We'd, we'd like British companies to try and run some of these. Easy well, negotiation. You actually have it. joined the Brexit side, haven't you? I thought you- <laughs> well, it's an enormous opportunity I'm seeing now, in fact, for British companies to <sighs> run most of Europe. Yeah. Well, it's an, it's an opportunity to waste people's time on, on trivia based on fallacious theories of economics. Yeah. I mean, we need to really be focusing upon uh, by the biological issue of, the, of, the, of COVID and, and, and our health yeah. and just put this stuff on the damn side side table for a while and, and let's, you know, again, as we know. But what's the, what's the, the end? State. I mean, if there was a quick result, what would you say? I mean, a quick, I mean, it wouldn't be the right time now for no deal because the, of all the tariffs, et cetera, that would have to sorting all of that out. But do you think if, if say, COVID was just a thing of the past in a year's time and we could get back to Brexit, what do you think? We should just be saying yes, no deal I because would, that's I mean, going to... The thing, gonna, I, thing I always thought should happen is that you simply, uh, you, you, leave, you leave the European Union, but you remain part of the European trading uh, trading block, right, and 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 you accept any any because uh, you know, you've got to have all the, the industrial standards. You accept the the European Union's industrial standards, um, and they and they have a reciprocal arrangement with you or something of that nature. To, to a minimal uh, level of interference, uh, because the basic idea of having a, a, a large uh, you know, supranational uh, economy uh, where economies of scale could be ex- exploited by any corporation across the whole continent. That made sense. But they're not going to accept uh, that for those, for those two yeah. reasons, the level playing field in mm. terms of government subsidies and, uh, and open procurement. 
And that's what, that's what I want to see change. That's why I supported Brexit to get out of this quagmire mm. of, of ludicrously uh, complicated rules that were supposed to be building a, a neoclassical textbook vision of the economy, right. but were in fact uh, tying up national governments in knots and, and being exploited by large corporations. Because again, again, a major thing with trade deals, particularly the United States, is you've got to open up your, your, your um, uh, p- uh, patent laws to their uh, preferred patent systems. Uh, in some cases, they have patents lasting 75 years. So the free trade deal means accepting the American definition of patents lasting forever, which used to be based on what was called the Mickey Mouse Clause, because literally every time Walt Disney was about to lose copyright on Mickey Mouse, they'd extend the terms for another seven years. And that's how we got to 75 years when it started at 21 years for copyright. So far from uh, freeing up trade, you had it being used by corporations to uh, they already had cornered a market to main, be able to continue cornering that market. And by the way, the number of Mickey Mouse products, quite literally, that I see in Thailand is breathtaking. Mm. Yeah, God knows why. It's a bygone era, but, but it's, 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 a, it's a big one over here. So yeah. this, 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 but free trade has actually ended up being a way of, of enabling large corporations to hang on to their patent rights. Yeah, yeah. And that wasn't exactly what even the textbook writers had in mind when they were talking about the wonders of free trade. They didn't even think about the issues like patents. Okay, finally then. So we, I mean, we agree that Brexit is a, it, it, it's not, it is not the time to be trying to re- reach an agreement. I mean, it's just not a, a nightmare yeah. scenario yeah. for the UK right now. This is not the time to talk about Brexit. <laughs> but we've been talking about it for half an hour. Which we haven't done, by the way. <laughs> well, we talked, we talked around it. Look, a byproduct could be Scottish independence, particularly if they do push ahead with it. 55% voted against it in 2014, but uh, the majority are now in favour in Scotland. There's a poll in the Scottish Herald. It's a newspaper poll, so obviously it's, it's biased mm-hmm. depending on their readership. But 86% reckons that they will be independent by 2026. We had Ian Blackford uh, saying on TV that uh, uh, Scottish National Party MP uh, their leader in in Westminster saying on TV the other week that he believes they're going to have their own currency. They you know when they leave they are not going to be tied to the e, uh, to the euro. They're going to have their own independent Scottish pound. And I was thinking, well, that that, that uh, I mean, they're too small for that. And you know what do they export? So let me give you a couple of figures on this because I thought, well, maybe they've got a chance on this. Scottish exports in mm. 2018, according to gov.scot. Eighty-five billion pounds. That's including, of course, exporting to the rest of the UK. Uh, that's about sixteen thousand per person. New Zealand exports, as an example of another small country, are about six and a half thousand per person. So Scotland and Scotland has a you know a bigger population. So uh, so much bigger exports coming out of Scotland than, than New Zealand. Uh, the biggest category for Scotland is food and beverage, six point three billion versus four billion for coke and petroleum. So even though we think you know well they're getting North Sea oil. At three point four billion in professional, scientific, and, and technical activity. So maybe you know it's a big enough economy to go on its own. There's certainly much smaller economies within the EU, isn't there? Yeah, I mean that's one reason they joined the EU to cause it put themselves in a larger economy. Um, but yeah, that's uh, Luxembourg is a joke. That's three hundred thousand people. Uh, mm. But you know. <laughs> uh, you do have, uh, like I think Belgium is what, about 10 million people. Um, 
so yes, it, it's feasible to imagine the economy uh, being being viable on its own, and by having its own currency, can devalue, uh, you know, in, in a market driven sense. Yeah. Uh, when it has trade trade deficits, so it's it's got the it, it would be feasible. Uh, I didn't realise that. I thought oil was such a large part that it would be, um, you know, when when oil has to cease happening. I thought that would be a, a serious crisis, but that's actually um, no. less than its food exports, whiskey and stuff treatment. like that. Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. so uh, so they perhaps can land on their feet from 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 all of this, and that would be an interesting. I mean, it's you know, it's it's breaking up the union of the UK, but because of that ability to devalue their currency, I mean, it could see businesses head north of the border, couldn't it? I mean, it could be a great thing for Scotland. We went from Scotland Brexit to Scotland. Yeah, well, that's because it is a consequence of it. Look, if we don't have a free trade agreement and uh, we we leave and there's tariffs yeah. imposed, Scotland will then push ahead with their independence and they'll get support for it just as sure as night follows day. Just you, just you mm. watch. Well, I think at the moment day should night should be as postponed for a year till we get out of the COVID hassle. <laughs> I think that's certainly the case. All right, we'll leave it there for now. Uh, good to talk, Steve. Catch you again very soon. Okay, mate. Bye. Tell you if you look into the EU regulations on subsidies and public procurement. You're going to ask, why will they let Britain leave without adhering to all of those? Of course they won't. And uh, that's why, you know, an oven-baked deal was never going to happen. Now, look, maybe next time we should talk about America, given all that's going on this week. Uh, We'll give it a few days to to see how it all settles down, whether Donald Trump is eventually sectioned or if he's put on suicide watch. Uh, But what will a Biden-led US mean to the rest of the world? We'll talk about that next week, I think, on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. Thanks for listening today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.